Hello, this is Pablo Sabaleta. This is Troy Dini. This is Kevin Phillips. This is Jürgen Klopp and you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. Look, I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona and our socios keep us on the road. This independent podcast simply wouldn't happen without them. Please head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now. Join us, become a socio, a member, and you'll get extra big interview content every month, plus lots of bonuses. We need you. We can't do this without you. Hello, everybody, and welcome, not quite to another episode of the Big Interview at the World Cup, but certainly to an emergency podcast, the likes of which we have not known since Spain decided to sack their manager on the eve of the tournament. We are recording in the same moment, more or less, that the world has been told that Cristiano Ronaldo has, in fact, left Real Madrid to join Juventus. After nine years at the Bernabeu, we're going to get to everything that this move means for Cristiano and for Real Madrid and for Juventus. But we are going to start, Graham Hunter, if you don't mind, where this story starts nine summers ago and a world record transfer fee. What was special, not about Cristiano the player, but about that event itself? Well, first of all, if if you remember back then, it was ultra dramatic because um, I, I was... From my perspective, um, I was involved very heavily in Sky and Revista de la Liga, at which point it was, you know, had good audience numbers and, and the demand was that even though it was only a weekly programme uh, released in the United Kingdom and Ireland, um, it, it was supposed to carry news value. And, you know, I remember Guillaume Balaguer being very good um in, in particularly in the first year of rumours when it was supposed to be leaving Manchester United, leaving Manchester United and supposed to be done and then it wasn't, um, was difficult for everybody. But very soon, um, the show was able to carry this idea that the deal had been agreed and that although it had been postponed for one year, it would take place the following summer, which is the summer of 2009. And what happened was it transpired that Sir Alex Ferguson said to Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, I had agreed a deal, but I need you to stay. I need one more year from you. Now, that was about retaining the European Cup. Um, they'd won in Moscow against um, Chelsea. Um, Ronaldo had scored, missed a penalty in the shootout, if I remember correctly. And you asked what was special. First of all, um, it was the epitome, maybe the most glorious epitome, even including Zidane and Figo, of the Galactico idea, which was born under Santiago Bernabeu, the president of Real Madrid, who rebuilt the club after the Civil War and the World War, um, after whom the, the stadium is, is now named. It was originally called Chamartin Stadium. Santiago Bernabeu in the early 60s came up, or pardon me, in the early 50s came up with this idea about buying love, buying success, buying superstars that would bring you beyond success on the pitch. They would bring you adoration. They would bring you a following from around the world. You know, Sapporo, his vice president, and um, Bernabeu went about constructing a team built around Di Stefano and Gento and Puskas that dominated the world, that dominated uh, the beginnings of European club football. And, and since that time, until Cristiano Ronaldo's side, including the shock value of Figo leaving Barcelona, including Beckham, including Zidane, Cristiano Ronaldo became the absolute epitome 
of how that can work and work well. Um, it was a world record transfer fee at the time. It was one gigantic club taking away from another gigantic club who didn't want to sell and who let him go based on the fantastic price they were getting. And their managing duo of David Gill and um, Sir Alex Ferguson understanding that there came a point at which they could give something back to Ronaldo that they were happy to give something back, which was the permission to leave. And that the, the guy in Ferguson's idea had a dream that he wanted to realise. The other side of what was remarkable at the move in summer 2009 is that it was delayed by a year. Now, you and I sat in the offices of the then Real Madrid president, Ramon Calderon, as he explained that initially the deal was agreed with United and that all parties were, Calderon was running Real Madrid and that all parties were in accord, that Ronaldo wanted to come. He'd pushed United to let him go. Um that Calderon was willing to match the price, that he believed very strongly that the price that they were spending, uh, which was just over 100 million euros, was still value. That was his point of view. He spoke directly with Ronaldo, and then Sir Alex Ferguson pulled the plug on it, demanded that Ronaldo stay in, and called individually upon Ronaldo and said, you owe me, son, you owe me one more year. I'm taking one more year, but in as as part of our pact, I guarantee you, that next summer you'll be allowed to, to move to Real Madrid. And at that stage, Barcelona were were still sore from the fact that when um, Cristiano Ronaldo was breaking through at Sporting in the seasons t- during 2001 and two, beginning to make a name for himself as a young um, juvenile B-team player, and then playing both European Cup and League football for Sporting in 2002-03, the... Um, uh, an English-based agency was linked up with George Mendes. And I know this because the English agency hired Colin Hutchinson, who'd been managing director at Chelsea, the same guy who sacked Rude Hulett, for example. And he phoned and said, look, there's there's two kids you really need to look out for. One's called Quaresma and the other one's called Ronaldo. And this would be in mid-2002. And he told me, these guys won't be containable. They will move from sporting soon. They are exceptionally talented. And Colin said at the time, I think Ronaldo is probably the one, which was a big bet because he was younger than Charisma. Ronaldo was still skinnier then, skinny, spotty, uh, more of a wide player, patently talented, but Charisma took the eye. Colin said, I think Ronaldo might be the one. um, Barcelona were offered both. A choice of either, is what I meant to say there. And they chose Quaresma. Now, it didn't work out. Um, I don't think at that stage what was obvious was that they'd chosen the wrong one, in inverted commas. But the Quaresma move, for various different reasons, he was out of his comfort zone. He felt swamped by such a big club. Um, It was a time when Barcelona's form and and the quality of their squad was very uh, variable. And Ronaldo you know, went to to Manchester United and was reshaped, reformed by England, by Ferguson, by Manchester United, by the Premier League, by his own maturity. But when Barcelona realised, watching him at Manchester United, that they'd made a mistake, and then they saw the Real Madrid move delivered, and this interview you can listen to in the big interview back catalogue, Ramon Calderon made it clear that Ferran Soriano, then the vice president of Barcelona, and now um, in charge of the development of Manchester City and City's um, brand clubs around the world, 
Frasoriano taunted him and said, we're going to pinch him from underneath your noses. We're going to get Ronaldo from United. And during that, that lie year, when Ronaldo consistently phoned um, his, uh, his friend and um, former fitness coach at Manchester United, who was then at Real Madrid, moaning to him, why am I staying? My ankle's troubling me. I'm being played at centre forward. It was... It was a difficult year for Ronaldo. He pined to be at um, at Real Madrid. He was playing through the pain barrier and he was playing in a position that he has never appreciated being put in. And at that stage, Barcelona, according to Ramon Calderon, via um, Ferran Soriano, went to Manchester United and said, we will pay you the same or more as Real Madrid are paying you. They went to Cristiano Ronaldo's agent and said, we will pay him the same or more and United, at that stage, according to Ramon Calderon, were business-minded about it. And I'm not saying they were about to renege on a debt of honour to, to um, Real Madrid, but they allowed it to be the, the player's decision. And Ronaldo said, no, not Barcelona. It must be Real Madrid. I want Real Madrid. And I admired him for that. Um, I think it helped him in what was to come, Neil. You said what was special about it, and I'd say that a number of the things I've described and the fact that we, this podcast, this chat between you and me cannot go one second further without me saying I have so enjoyed being close to the, the, the battlegrounds of Cristiano Ronaldo's greatness. OK, let's talk about these nine years of Cristiano's. Um, let's, let's hop across some moments why don't we start with, with his actual arrival after the saga that you've just described? When when and how does he put his flag in the ground in Madrid? It's, well, one, one, one small step for Cristiano, one backward step for, for Florentino Perez. The day was achingly, searingly, brutally hot. And Real Madrid had decided that because of the heat, the, the actual ceremony with the Bernabeu being open would be an early evening, I think scheduled to begin approximately seven-ish. Now, what happened was there was such a furore about this long-delayed move where an already a patently great footballer um, who'd played in the final of Euro 2004, who'd won the European Cup in 2008 with them, um, United was coming to Spain, was had signed for Madrid, was going to be unveiled. It was the middle of the holidays, so many, many people had time off. So what people did was they started gathering at, outside the Bernabeu at midday and early afternoon and drinking, <laughs> you know, having beer in the shade, having wine in the shade, popping across to local bars. So by the time 7pm came, it was kind of bouncy. The Bernabeu, you know, wasn't at a capacity 80,000, but it was pretty damn full. I mean, it was a huge, huge crowd. And the board were out on this long plinth. There were some VIPs seated on deck chairs down on the pitch, and there was a long walkway, and up on the plinth there was, there was the board. And Cristiano would be introduced and brought on, and he'd say a few words and kick a ball and... Blah, blah, blah. But there was so much sort of rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb going on that the crowd, <laughs> the crowd got a bit restless. Now, at that stage, the honorary president, who was handing over not only the keys to the castle to Ronaldo, Alfredo Di Stefano, at that point, even including Raul, the single greatest figure in the history of the club, including Santiago Bernabeu and certainly including Florentino Perez, 
Di Stefano was there as this gnarled old Argentinian whose stick, you, if anybody knew him well enough, he, he was ill-tempered enough that the stick wasn't always for leaning on. If you, if you crossed him, that stick could certainly be wielded in Gandalf fashion. So Florentino talked about history, talked about the Galactico idea, talked about what Di Stefano had been to his predecessor in the 50s and blah, 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 and the honour and the greatness. And as the, as the thing went on, some, some idiot just decided to jump the barrier and take a run towards the stage, just wanting a selfie or fame or an autograph or whatever with Cristiano. And they hadn't got enough security, Neil. And so you're sitting there, we're sitting there on the pitch, and you just, you know, if you've been at football all your life, you just get a feeling about what's happening. You kind of sometimes understand crowd mood. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is going to go off. And lo and behold, as soon as they just managed to repel one border, suddenly it was like, everybody over the top, lads. And there was just this sort of lava-like vomit of people coming down the stands and leaping the walls. And the board took a look at the crowd, the angry mob, not a happy mob. And the angry mob kept running. And the board took another look and they just crapped themselves. And my everlasting memory of this was Cristiano Ronaldo kind of looking at it in total bemusement, but with a sort of bemused smile on his face before nimbly being escorted away by his bouncers. And the board, led by Florentino at a trot, Look back at the, I don't know, 80-year-old Alfredo Di Stefano. And without saying it, it was like, you're on your own, old man. See you later. <laughs> and they fucked right off and left Alfredo Di Stefano to, to be mobbed by the masses. And Cristiano, he was gone. Okay, so world record transfer, but, you know, they've still signed a young player on the up curve of his, of his career. Did he, you know, take that crown immediately? What was his kind of integration into Real Madrid? Well, what did Real Madrid, the team, look like then? And how did he break into it? Yeah, look, it's a decent question. What people will forget is that, you know, he had as a coach uh, Manuel Pellegrini. Um, it was a side that wasn't well constructed, that um, was going to suffer, if not quite humiliation, something close to it at the time. When he made his league debut, the, the side was Casillas, Arbeloa, um, Albiol and Ezekiel Garay in the middle, remember them? Marcelo at fullback, Kaká, who never flourished at the, uh, the Bernabeu, Lasana Diara, Xavi Alonso, Raul, Cristiano Ronaldo wearing nine, Benzema, his partner over the longest time, um, already there, Guti, Granero and Higuain coming on in Pellegrini's side and they... They won 3-2 in that on the 29th of August 2009 against Deportivo La Coruña. His first season contained uh, two red cards in the league, a plethora of goals. But I was at the first big setback, a setback which um, I think followed uh, an embarrassment which probably did for um, uh, Manuel Pellegrini in that at that stage, I don't believe that Real Madrid had actually... Uh, begun to value the cup very much indeed, but they went out to Alcocon um, without Cristiano Ronaldo in the side. Pellegrini's fate was settled. The one thing that might have saved him in that that era was the Champions League. And although they progressed well, and Cristiano Ronaldo began to score in the Champions League, 
I was at Real Madrid 1, Olympic Lyon 1, and, and Madrid had lost in, in Lyon, a, a club whereby over the previous years they had often been rumbled out of their style, outrun, outworked. They'd even begun to sign um, players from Lyon, like, for example, Benzema, like Mohamed Diara, in order to try and strengthen themselves and weaken Lyon. But they lost in the in the Gerland and they came back. And if you remember Miralem Pjanic, still a big star at Juventus, still somebody that Madrid are thinking about signing um, to this day. His goal um, with 15 minutes left meant that it was 1-1. Uh, Madrid were out and it was a flat game, a really flat atmosphere. Um, I happened to watch it in amongst you know, the ultra fans um, of... Real Madrid and it was a night when nobody believed nobody understood what was going to rescue this um, Madrid side and Pellegrini was going and the fact that Mourinho was winning um, big trophies in fact the treble over at, in, 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 at Inter Milan um, meant that a complete change of era was coming that um, a new idea was coming and that Real Madrid were going to become a threat to somebody that Florentino Perez was already sick of, which was the the, the Champions League winning era, the, the era of big love for um, football club Barcelona. What he brought Jose Mourinho over to do wasn't simply to to partner um, his countryman, uh, Ronaldo. Um, the fact that they shared an agent obviously made the deal more sensible at the time. But Mourinho was brought to power up the team and to power up Ronaldo so that they could knock um, Barcelona off their perch. I want to tell you something, Neil, that I think a lot of people forget. By the time he arrived at Real Madrid, um, it had taken at Manchester United Ronaldo 26 games to get on the score sheet in the Champions League at all. 26 Champions League matches had gone by before he even scored in the Champions League. And by the time he left Manchester United, he'd only scored, what, 15 Champions League goals? Now, since then, he scored another 105 for Real Madrid. Now that, I think, not often in this podcast do we rely on statistics alone. But of all the things I've ever seen in my journalistic life, that statistic from going from you know, a very capable, dynamic forward in an extraordinarily good club, good side, a side which could make the Champions League final twice consecutively with Ronaldo in it. And he still went on to add, you know, 105 to his existing 15 Champions League goals. That is genuinely one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen in football. Okay, we're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we're going to look at how the Ronaldo who left Manchester United developed into the player who dominated the Champions League goal-scoring charts in the years to follow. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game-changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
Welcome back. We were talking Cristiano Ronaldo. How did Cristiano fare in those Classico war period between um, Mourinho's Madrid and Guardiola's Barcelona? There was a period whereby, number one, he was adapting. Um, number two, Real Madrid were building a team around him. And then finally, number three, they got for them, you know, albeit that I've criticised Mourinho a great deal. Um, they still got somebody who for them was um, the right man at that time in, in Jose Mourinho. So if, if you want to take a glance at how he played and how he fared in his first couple of classicals, it was, you know, exclusively defeats originally and um, without him scoring. And then, you know, I remember... It, and this is very rarely talked about in the, in the way we've analysed that that season of the classical wars. It began with the 5-0 when I watched Jose Mourinho's first attempt to win a classical disintegrate, not only in a brilliant Barcelona performance where the fluidity of the football, the the idea of, I think I think they used two subs, let's call it 13 men, absolutely in control of their game, absolutely intuitively understanding each other's movements, the the way, the space into which they passed. It, it was an overwhelming force. And in the film that Duncan McMath and I made of the Barca book that you and Martin and I published, there was a point at which um, a couple of Barca players, let's say Ida Good Johnson is an example, who says, I don't know anybody who could have coped at that time taking over initially at Real Madrid. And I mentioned that background because after the 5-0, what happens is that the next meeting and the beginning of the, the classical wars it is just fascinating. The first time the teams play again in a classical is the first time Cristiano Ronaldo scores in a classical um, for Madrid against um, Barcelona. It's the 1-1 league game, which predates the fact that they know that the next time they meet, it's going to be uh, four or five days later in the cup final. And they then know that over the next six days, there's going to be two Champions League semi-finals. Now, Barca come to the Bernabeu having won 5-0 the, the, the first time. Raul Albiol is sent off um, in what is a very aggressive, very rough game. There are bookings galore. Something of an oddity um, for these classical wars. The, the bookings go mainly towards... FC Barcelona, but Albiol is sent off. It's nil nil, eleven v ten, and immediately Messi um, puts Barcelona one nil up from the penalty spot. And Ronaldo leads. Uh, I would say leads in terms of example, in terms of play, in terms of energy. A fight back where, even with ten men at one nil down, Real Madrid could be argued deserve to win the game. Now they don't. He scores a penalty. It's one one, and they go into the cup final. And and there. Again, I'm present at, the, at this game, Neil. They, and, and I'm picking on this as a memory. You, you talked about the classical um, battles between Ronaldo's Madrid and, and, and Messi's Barcelona. In this cup final at the Mestalla, it's one of the most enjoyable games I've ever been at, one of the most dramatic matches with far, far-reaching consequences. But rather than talking about you know, the Mourinho remark about what Guardiola says after the cup final about a goal where Pedro scores from the, maybe the best Messi dribble run I've ever seen in my life. And the goal's ruled out. And, and what Guardiola and Mark Mourinho say then has gigantic repercussions. 
But the ball in from, I'm pretty sure it's Angel Di Maria rather than Marcelo. Um, I stand corrected. If anybody tells me it was Marcelo, and I'm sorry, but I'm certain it was Angel Di Maria down in the far left-hand corner of the Mestalla as Madrid are playing right to left. There's been goal-mouth action galore. There's been heated tackles. There's been bad blood. There's no point in disguising the fact that there's a stamp on, on David Villa by, by Arbeloa. Uh, Xabi Alonso and, and Arbeloa lift their World Cup winning companion of only seven months previous up as if to say get up you cheat when he's been stamped on and therefore you can imagine the atmosphere and it's not a classical like the normal ones the, the fan base is split at the Mestalla so instead of it being always 95% Madrid fans and you know maybe 2% um, Barca fans and then some neutrals chucked in at the Bernabeu and vice versa at the camp now this is 50-50 in a stadium that holds maybe 50,000. And the noise is cacophonous. It's brilliant. I mean, an absolutely phenomenal night. And that cross, followed by Cristiano Ronaldo's header, a blinding header, the jump, the neck muscles, the positioning of the goal, and the way in which um, they celebrate it and then fight to protect that extra time winner. That will go down to me as one of Ronaldo's great goals because of the the importance of the timing because of the brilliance of the leap. And it's a tumultuous game. If anybody hasn't seen it or doesn't remember it, seek it out on YouTube. It's brilliant. And then, you know, without wasting too much time on the classical wars, you know, it's whatever, seven days later, I think. Seven days later, precisely. Barcelona go to Real Madrid, having been beaten, having had Leo Messi crying in the changing room at the Mestalla because of the cup final defeat. And they go there and they win 2-0 and, and Pepe sent off. But in that game, again, you know, I hope well, there's wonder in my voice thinking back to it because it's hard to believe. Mourinho sets out to play um, an ultra-defensive idea with Pepe in midfield. So that Pepe is supposed to be the the clamper, the breaker down of Busquets, the, the, the stopper of Iniesta or Xabi, being able to get decent ball because he's this big um, boot on roots dancing around midfield. Sorry for anybody who hasn't seen that film, Young Frankenstein. But they've got um, Ramos and Albiol at the back together and the idea is to make it impossible for Barca to play. And they don't go forward at home in a Champions League semi-final. They play to contain, they play to dull, they play to suffocate Football Club Barcelona. And at home, in the Bernabeu, this this club that has its personal DNA stamped over that trophy, they don't want to dance. And the sight of Cristiano Ronaldo up front, countermanding Mourinho's orders and waving over his shoulder at the rest of the team. Come on, lads, come on, push up, play, let's play. Well... Even as the years go by, my admiration for that, even though he's breaking team orders, my admiration for that won't won't dull, can't dull. I love that. And afterwards in the mix zone, he 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 gave enough to say, I didn't approve of this. I, this wasn't he spoke in a in a manner that was if not derogatory about Jose Mourinho, it absolutely mapped out that Ronaldo did not accept that Mourinho was his senior. Or was his boss? He was his coach. But when Ronaldo decided something that had equal value as Jose Mourinho, these these were dramatic times. 
And in the end, Neil, he goes on um, to, to score repeatedly against Barcelona, to punish them, to score home and away, to shush the Camp Nou into silence, having scored in a game that would win, um, or seal, basically, effectively, the league title for Real Madrid against Pep Guardiola's Barcelona in his very last season. There was a period when in one, two, three, four, five, six games, he scored um, seven goals against Barcelona consecutively. There's runs of goals, there's red cards, there's drama. And it leads into something that I think is important. Rather than the endless debates over his time in Spain about who's better, I think it's been really important for Cristiano Ronaldo in a way that it hasn't been for Messi, that he had this stone in his shoe called Leo Messi. I think he needed to be in La Liga to to help him towards greatness because this is a guy who gives an enormous amount to be as sculpted, to be as quick, to be as injury-free as he is, to continue scoring goals. He values how he looks and he gets a lot of mockery for that. Um, and I, I just don't have a lot of time to think about that. I know it occupies other people's minds. It will be, it'll be part of the brand. It will be part of the memories. And I remember the first time I ever phoned Gerard Piquet to get an interview off him about Cristiano Ronaldo, which would have been when Ronaldo was joining. And Piquet said, yeah, look, OK, he was the longest in front of the mirror at Old Trafford at the training ground. He certainly liked to look after himself. And then Jerry said he was always the last off the training ground, too. And this was a guy who practised and worked and, and gave everything to be the absolute best version of himself he could be. And then... Just I don't know about cars, but I, I seem to think there are some cars that have something called overdrive or an extra gear or fuel injection. And, and that was Messi for Ronaldo. You know, Messi bugged Ronaldo in a way that Ronaldo never bugged Messi. And, and as such, and that, that's not derogatory from my tone, don't believe that for a second. That's why Cristiano Ronaldo has played in and won more Champions League finals than Leo Messi. And that's why the, the Ballon d'Or kept coming Ronaldo's way, kept coming Ronaldo's way. And therefore, better or worse is, is, is something I, I don't need to, to feel or to I adjudicate on. Even it'll be rare that you get my opinion. Preference, that's difference. But, boy, it's been good to watch them. And it's been good for Ronaldo that Leo Messi was at Barcelona, for sure. Okay, so you've talked about his attitude towards that or the effect that that competition with Messi had on him. You hinted there at the evolution of his relationship with Mourinho. And I'm wondering, just in general, what part during those, as those nine years at Madrid have progressed and as we, in this podcast, move towards an analysis of the end and his move today to Juventus, I wonder how much has come into play his demand for primacy, his demand to be the alpha at Madrid, in the team, in Spanish football, in world football. What what element has this played in eventually getting us to where we are today? I, I think that what's gnawed away at him and whether this is part of what makes him great or what proves to be in the latter stages of his career a fatal flaw is, is a perpetual feeling that it's not enough. A perpetual feeling that other people have got it better. And a perpetual feeling that if I do all this, there are 
really no limits on what I can ask from you. You being his his environs. It isn't simply about the pay packet, although he, he absolutely feels that he should be the number one paid player in the world, and he isn't. He does not feel that he's been looked after, uh, fought for, cosseted, admired, um, even stroked and purred over by Real Madrid in a way that he was at Manchester United. What I would say is that there was a point at which he had a case. I've seen him at institutional events, sometimes getting awards, when Madrid didn't automatically represent him, come with him, support him, be with him. Um, it almost felt like he was um, part of a franchise and that he owned a small part of the franchise of Real Madrid rather than everybody being in it together. And he would point to various expeditions when, say, for example, um, the podium at the Ballon d'Or in 20... January 2011 for the 2010 award was Messi, Xavi, Iniesta. And there was a gigantic expedition and a private plane from Barcelona. And I've seen instances where Ronaldo just felt that institutionally, Romero didn't get behind him, that Florentino had other things to do, that um, it's very much a Florentino club rather than a board-driven club. And therefore, you know, you can like his attitude, laugh at him, you can sneer, you can think about it if it was you and, and work out what your attitude would be. But he, he has never felt that Real Madrid properly um, appreciate what they've got. And if he's perpetually looking for um, wage rises, then he's not alone. Um, it's patently clear that one of the things that he didn't like was Spain landing him with a, a gigantic uh, tax bill immediately before Spain-Portugal. He responded with a hat-trick. Um, you shouldn't cheat your taxes, folks, but, um, boy, that's the way to pay the country back, isn't it? And I think that Ronaldo often had a bit of that. And I, I like... Um, I want to say I like his humour. I was party to it in 2012, I think, when he was playing, um, I think it was CSK in Moscow, and he was about to um, make a, a record, a goal-scoring record. And so there was a film crew sent over to build a, a feature about him, and I helped the producer during the day who thought there'd be massive posters of Ronaldo all over the the city or at the Bernabeu or at the Nike Superstore, and, and there weren't. And therefore, we had to think of something to do, and we went down to one of the major squares, Plaza del Sol in um, Madrid, and I suggested, why don't we get one of these um, caricature artists to do a sketch, sketch of Cristiano, and we'll film it time-lapse, and that can become a nice little device um, to let tourists look at it or let fans at the stadium later on tonight to look at it once it's painted and blah, blah, blah. All of which went very well, until the point late on after the game in the in the sort of super flash area where you get to be before the TV and before the um, the, the general press. And uh, there were some Russians to our right hand and they, as soon as Cristiano Ronaldo came out, they were like, instead of filming, they were like, sign this, sign this. And he did. He reached out for their, their Sharpie and signed whatever they gave to him. And the producer I was with leaned out to my left and showed the caricature to Cristiano when he's about maybe four feet away um, to my right, 
signing, looking down, looking up, sees the caricature and goes, oh, <laughs> I'm not as ugly as that, am I? Smiling, laughing and immediately reaching forward and going, do you want me to sign that? Does sign it. And there's some um, officials at the club come out and see this and think that um, the whole idea has been to get him to, to sign stuff. And there's a bit of a row over it. He walks off chuckling about the whole thing. And uh, later that week, I find out that the fact that my first interview with Ramon Calderon, which I'd done in, in building up this feature, where we talked about him having completed the signing um, of Cristiano Ronaldo, only for Florentino Perez to inherit it as, you know, a million pound lottery ticket in a lucky bag, which is, he did get lucky. And, and I think from that moment to now, there's been a degree of, resentment over that fact. Resentment to the to the degree that because the interview with Ramon Calderon went out on Champions League Weekly, um, I was told by my employers that uh, Florentino Perez had phoned Gianni Infantino, who was head of UEFA at the time, demanding the head of whoever had made this impertinent re reportage, which is a feature, about, and, and Ronaldo's my player, and blah, 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 blah. What a strange reaction for somebody who had inherited Ronaldo. Why bother about who signed him? He was bringing the trophies and the glory to Florentino Perez's Madrid. And there's been a thorn in the shoe of each of the men. You're not my signing. You're not my president. From that day until this. And there have been... There have been... Locking of antlers over the, over the years. And nobody who's an ordinary football fan can be asked to have any sympathy for Ronaldo when he said, he's very said, I'm not happy here. And then he gets a wage rise and it goes quiet for a little while. But last year in Cardiff, I've told you before, um, one of his ex-teammates spoke to him and he said, listen, I'm still pissed off. I'd leave Real Madrid. I'd join, if Manchester United were in a Mediterranean country, I'd join them tomorrow. But I'm not going back to that weather. And he said that it was still the case that even as Manchester United had changed without Ferguson, without David Gill, it was still the case that Ronaldo felt he'd be better treated there than he is at Real Madrid. I can't defend him on that point of view, but his weather check. I don't know if he's got some sort of weather app on his phone, Neil, but Turin in the winter, well, it might as well be Coronation Street. It ain't sunny, it's damp, it's clammy, and the skies are low and grey. So... Maybe Manchester United missed out here on one, but I know that, 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 that this thing took root when he scored that outrageous overhead goal um, against Juventus in the quarterfinals of this season's Champions League and the fans, we've spoken about this, I won't go over the ground again, the fans applauded him and he bowed to them and spoke in the mix zone afterwards about how he's always admired Juventus and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Could be the case. Um, they had um, one of the... Um, great um, Portuguese midfielders there during Cristiano's time growing up. So maybe it's the case. Um, Sousa was there and, and, and won trophies there. So um, it's been a strange relationship between Florentino Perez and Cristiano Ronaldo until now. Um, but the mutual benefits have been absolutely gigantic. And I look at, for example, Sergio Ramos saying, Neil, um, Cristiano, your goals, your numbers and everything we won together speak for themselves. You've earned a special place in the history of Real Madrid. As Madridistas, we'll remember you always. It's been a pleasure to play alongside you. Bicho. Bicho means insect. A strange, a strange beast, but it's really an insect. Big hug and good luck. And, um, you know, it's also the case that um, 
Ronaldo has signed off at Real Madrid and um, spoken about why he wants to go. And um, it, it came to, to a head several months ago when Cristiano Ronaldo was telling Madrid time and time again that he wasn't particularly happy there. And they went, OK, what we'll do is we'll, we'll lower your buyout clause so that it's 100 million euros instead of 1,000 million. And I think it's pretty well established that Cristiano Ronaldo at that point took it that that meant that Real Madrid no longer wanted him quite as much and the deal was struck. Okay, well, let's talk about where that deal leaves both Real Madrid and to an extent Juventus too. Real Madrid are losing their star player. Does this signal a wider regeneration? It's hard to understand how um, Real Madrid operate in that they don't have a director of football. They have a go-getter in Jose Angel Sanchez. They have an ambitious president in um, Florentino Perez. It's, it's not easy to understand how they plan. And I think as well, the reason that I eulogise Cristiano Ronaldo is that he, I meant that he wholly embodies the idea of the Galactico when it works. When it began not to work and Florentino Perez walked away from the club, do you remember? For Calderon to take over. It was because, in a, in a metaphor for the world, they'd mined the resources dry. There isn't an ultra-galactico available every year once you've bought them up. Now, what there isn't, there are superstar players around the globe who might fit almost everything about the Real Madrid model and who could be bought. Um, who is there that in any way resembles Cristiano Ronaldo? Not necessarily in his playing style or his marketability, but the thing that cannot ever be forgotten about Cristiano Ronaldo is that he delivered and he delivered and he delivered and he delivered constantly on the big occasions. I think he scored in 90 or 95% of the finals that he played in. I think he won 16 medals. It was clear that not even his presence was enough to turn Real Madrid into a league-winning franchise. I think they won two leagues while he was there, that in itself isn't good enough. But to dominate the Champions League and to dominate Champions League history now as the leading scorer and um, the man with the most Champions League medals um, in history and being what one short of Paco Gento, Real Madrid legend, in terms of how many times he's won the trophy. I, I don't know what happens in terms of them trying to compensate for his absence. Does it mean others will leave? It's a really complicated question. Think about what's happened. They've finished, and I think, if not a record, I think a record number of points behind Barcelona in a league of um, this number of teams and a three-point league, three points for a win. Their coach has left. They've been knocked out by a very minor club, Leganes, in the cup, and yet they've won the Champions League. Lopetegui is new as, as coach of Real Madrid. He was not first choice. Now Cristiano Ronaldo has left at a point where it was evidently clear last season that they absolutely needed to renew the energy, the, the composition of the squad, and that the previous summer's work hadn't quite been good enough in terms of who they bought and who they sold. It's, it's an extraordinary next few weeks um, in the history of Real Madrid right now. So to say 
at this instant, I know how it will pan out, whether it will be successful or not. I can't, I can't do that. Um, you will automatically see stories about bids for <sighs> Hazard, De Bruyne, Kane, Dybala. It, the, the, the list will be more endless than it normally is, um, but it does leave Real Madrid's planners um, with a, a genuinely extraordinary task. And if you remember the last time somebody really had a splurge of money like this to spend, it was it was Barcelona um, with the Neymar money, or I don't know, Spurs with the Bale money. And I would say that when money come, money like that comes rushing at you fast and late in a transfer market, it's fucking difficult to get it right if you don't have a brilliant sporting director. Um, Juventus, it would seem, have already spent some of their money. You went into detail, fascinating detail, about why they're flush um, in, a, in a broader sense in terms of the Italian Champions League money that they have dominated. They have signed a king of world football. This is seven in a row, Serie A champions Juventus. What does Cristiano hope to get, do you think, from this move? I mean, how does he envisage playing out uh, the autumn of his career in Turin? He's got a huge increase in his basic revenue for his playing skills. He'll be paid something like 25 million euros net of tax. Net of tax. Plus five more in performance-based objectives. That's up. <laughs> it's not bad. Nice work if you can get it, as Billy Holiday once sang. Um, he'll already be getting, not just from those who um, whisper nicely in his ear and whisper nicely in the media on behalf of him and George Mendes, but legitimately, I think, a slight notch up on Messi in being able to say, well, Portugal, England, Spain, Italy. I'm in favour of experimentation. I'm in favour of risk. I, I will be utterly fascinated to see what Ronaldo makes of Juventus. So what will Ronaldo find there? I think he will be, he'll use it or his followers will use it to say one up on Messi. He's taking a risk, new league, new trophies, new challenges. I think he will use it as an impetus to garner fresh Ballon d'Or votes. I think the idea of familiarity breeding contempt will be one that in a marketing sense helps drive this once the financial aspect is good. And he wants to be loved. We'll close on the fact that it might seem bizarre for somebody who's been gifted a very great deal in life and is able to write his own checks in terms of both literally and metaphorically. You know, he almost does what he wants. And yet, apart from big, big net salaries, what does he crave? Love and appreciation. I think he thinks he's going to get that there. He did that night when he scored that outrageous overhead kick. Um, but the Juventus crowd is, 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 is a demanding one, ultra demanding. The success needs to continue. Let's see whether they need to sell anybody around him in order to fund this. I don't think they do. And let's see how the players around him react. He's talked about the nine years at Real Madrid being unique, some of the happiest of his life. From a person who's working career has been improved by Cristiano Ronaldo. I wish him something similar. It won't be nine years, I don't think, at Juventus. But is it guaranteed? 
that he realises the things he wants in Turin? I'm not so sure. And if he's got a couple of spare bucks, he might want to buy a parka and a pair of gloves for the winter time. Cristiano, gracias por todo. Adios. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Dini, and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please.